South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now. 210-599-5555. All right. It is a very nice Sunday morning out there for the second day of July. Just two, two days away from our country's birthday. And I hope you're planning to get out safely. Enjoy some time out. Enjoy this Texas weather. What a surprise. <laughs> Yesterday evening, got home and, uh, well, it was sometime in the middle of the night, uh, a couple of flashes of lightning, a little bit of thunder, heard the rain coming down. Wasn't a downpour or anything like that, but I got up this morning with almost a quarter of an inch, well, just a little over a quarter of an inch of rain in the gauge. Of course, the weatherman totally missed it once again. Uh, said we had 1% chance, I think, of precipitation, but I hope you were under one of those clouds and got at least least a sprinkle out of it because uh, I don't know it just raises the humidity but it knocks that temperature down a little bit and even light rains tend to help a lot of plants because they absorb the moisture directly through their limbs and foliage and anyway just nice to wake up to a wet sidewalk this morning for a change. Uh, You know the number to Talk about whatever you would like to talk about, about your garden or nature or whatever, 210-599-5555. Jan was the first to get through, so that's where we start. I hate to keep people waiting, so good morning, Jan. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. Uh, calling about a question about our yard. It it died um, since last year, and I believe it has roots because if you try to pull up the dead stuff, it has roots, so I'm thinking it might have a fungus. And I talked to a grass place, and they wanted me to get this poison and put it on there and wear your gloves and all that. But I was wondering, would corn tea uh, mixture? Corn water, corn water tea will do just as good as do just as much good as that toxic material would. Um, If uh, are the runners brown or are the runners green and the blades brown? No, it's all brown. Okay. Uh, In that case, you wouldn't have anything to lose. I probably would have put a little compost down, too, because compost is just the best thing on earth to revitalize that soil and get it ready for whatever you choose to plant in there. But, yes, I would go either with straight corn meal or corn water tea. Uh, Either way, you're getting the benefit of the trichoderma, which will control all the different fungi that cause problems to our grasses. Right. That's what I was thinking, and I told her that. She goes, well... I've never heard of that. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for the information. Well, it's always a pleasure. People are just amazed by everything cornmeal does. And uh, it's funny because, you know, I talk about the fact that it will even uh, cure toenail fungus. And uh, I have a niece who's a doctor down in Mexico, and uh, I said something about that. And she said, oh, Uncle Bob, that's nothing new. We've been doing that for generations in the colonias. So some of the smarter right. people in the world have recognized what all cornmeal does. But uh, folks in agriculture, especially the ones educated or part of uh, some certain universities we know, they just, I don't know why, they're just so in love with expensive chemicals that are dangerous for people and pets and everything else. But I'm, I'm glad you and I, at least are are on the smart side of the uh, equation. I'm sorry you went through that. You know, if we talked earlier, you probably could have arrested it, but uh, um, it is what it is. There's a lot of yards right here in a row in our our neighborhood. uh There's a lot of yards just like that. I think ours might look the worst, the deadest. It's the deadest yard on the street. Well, uh, knowing you, it won't be long before... 
It'll be green again. It might be a good opportunity to look out there and see, you know, maybe I don't need this much grass because grass is the highest maintenance and the highest water user you've got in the landscape. So this might be a time to reevaluate and think about maybe some perennial beds or berming up some areas and, you know, just, just turn it into something a little bit more interesting than just a solid mass of green grass out there and that's going to reduce your water bill and reduce the amount of labor you have so <laughs> you know i'm the eternal optimist I, I try to see the brighter side of things and that's how i would look at it and uh it and i certainly wouldn't be rushing to do anything with the temperatures and everything what it is uh, if you decide you want to plant some bermuda grass or something this is an ideal time to plant bermuda seed but uh nothing at all wrong to uh you know, with with taking some time to figure out exactly what you want to do and then plant the lawn, the lawn, the landscape that you want to have for the next 20 or 30 years. Yeah. I uh, Also, I have two tomato plants. Well, I'm the one with the tomato jungle forest <laughs> that I called you about. But two of them uh, are the, the um, heirlooms, and uh-huh. then they're, I believe both of them were indeterminate. So okay. could I cut those back some and, and let them rejuvenate for fall? You can certainly do that, but I think an even better idea would be um, to take some cuttings from them. Uh, tomato cuttings root extremely easily in perlite, and rather than have to go out and buy some new plants to plant for fall, there's just a certain vigor to new plants, and you can cut them back, fertilize water. If the temperatures just don't get excessive, uh, they will come back and continue to grow. But if you would, you know, root and plant three or four new ones, it's like it's like the base of the old plants is six months old, but the tissue you're rooting is a few weeks old, and uh, that's just as good as putting in some new plants for fall. So I kind of I'd keep the old ones around to see what they do, but I plant gets a fresh start going too. Yeah. Um. So. Let me see. They're about four foot tall or five foot tall. Mm -hmm. I probably wouldn't cut them back to an extreme, right? No, and you don't have to cut them back at all. You know, an indeterminate tomato is just a big vine. And mine, especially on the cherries, they tend to grow out of the top of my six-foot cages, hang over the side, eventually get back down to the ground and take root again. So cutting them back is really just mainly cosmetic you don't really have to do a thing i do of course recommend you keep on spraying with seaweed molasses and things like that to keep the mites down and give them all the micronutrients you get out of the seaweed especially but um uh you can you can trim them up just for cosmetic reasons if you like right the blooms on there right now aren't going to set tomatoes right because it's too hot now, the big-fruited tomatoes, no. Your cherries, if you planted Sun Gold or Sweet 100 or Juliet or any of those, they should go no, right on all setting. Volunteers. Okay, okay. Those are all my volunteers, and they're <laughs> the real marble side, but they're yeah. big on plants. It, it says those are what we call grape tomatoes, but no, your big ones, um, uh, they're unlikely to set any fruit. Uh, occasionally, you know, we'll get a couple of cool nights in a row. Doesn't happen often, but uh, it's the nighttime temperatures more than daytime temperatures. And if we do indeed get some cooler nighttime temperatures, I'm not going to rule out setting some more. This is this has been a very strange year weather-wise from. 
cool to wet to dry to hot to a little more reasonable. So obviously the weathermen don't know what's going on. So how are we mere mortals supposed to guess what it's going to do? But uh, um, may turn out to be a little cooler and wetter summer than we've had the past couple of years. Right. Okay. Well, I guess that's all I had this morning. You have a great day. You do the same. And don't forget to celebrate our country's birthday next Tuesday. Thanks, Jan. Yeah, thanks, Shannon. All right, uh, looks like it's going to be Bruce and Stephen and George. Bruce is up next. Good morning, Bruce. Good morning, Bob. I have a question about Mustang grapes. Yes, sir. I have. I had uh, this winter cleared some of my fence lines. Those things get out of hand, you know. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> we call it Texas Cuds, Texas Kudzu. Yeah, you never can get rid of it. But is there anything you can control it with, like spray it with diesel or do anything like that? Uh, if you're trying to kill it um, the uh, on a fence line, sure, you wouldn't really spray. You just, uh, you know, cut it back to where the principal trunks were coming out of the ground and just douse it. But uh, I don't, you know, mind. I'd, I'd cut it down to keep it from getting too much up in the trees. But uh it they will make grapes the wildlife love the grapes and i grew up picking mustang grapes with my grandfather and he was not a (laughs) let's just say the family didn't believe in adult beverages but man we sure had we sure had good grape juice and uh and uh, good grape jelly and uh in my adult life uh, i'm not a i'm not a winemaker but golly i've had some excellent mustang grape wine so uh uh, I I just I let them go. I I trim them periodically to keep them from getting out of hand. But if for whatever reason you want to eliminate them, yeah, you can douse the stump of them with diesel, cut them back, and douse them with diesel, and that'll kill them. Follow oh, okay. it up with yeah, a little we, bit of a, we make. Uh huh. Go ahead. Uh, I'm sorry. If if you do decide to do that, follow it up with a little bit of molasses to stimulate the microbes. It'll break down anything that might be toxic in the diesel. Oh, okay, because some of them are getting so bad that, you know, they, the fence comes down, the cows can get out, you know, it, it's ruining <laughs> some of the fences. <laughs> well, yeah, you just, you need to cut them back a little bit more often. For me, it's about three times a year that I just, you know, pick a cool morning, go out there with my gloves and my shears, and, uh, but um, anyway, I wish I wish all the desirable things grew as well as the Mustang grapes do, but. Uh, oh, boy, me too. I, I have, oh. Tons of, I mean, I got too many fences to trim, but the, some of them I just leave them alone. But uh, yeah, I'll try that and see what happens. Uh, but uh, they sure go quick. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, they do. Well, well, nice talking to you, and have a good Fourth of July. And we'll talk again, Bruce. And I appreciate okay. it. Thank you. Thank you so much, Thank- sir. Certainly. Thanks. Give up. Sure. Goodbye. All right. Let's get a break done here. And then Stephen and George will be your turn. I get to talk to you about Medina agriculture. And once again, such a pleasure talking about <laughs> about Medina. And, you know, I joke, but but it's it's fun having a company that is so responsive, that is so out there to help you with gardening with you know your landscape uh if you're in agriculture they deal with people that have thousands of acres as well as people who have a quarter of an acre lot always looking for new and better ways to do things and uh 
Yeah, I joke with Stuart Frankie, the owner, all the time about all the different products I wish they would produce. And lo and behold, they get around to producing a bunch of them. They've got some of the best fertilizers out there for your pot plants and things in containers. I love the Hestergrow products like Hestergrow Plant and the new Liquid Fish Blend. I say new. It's been around a couple of years. and that's, I alternate the two, and boy, does it give good results. Uh, they've got their Hestergrow Plant that uh, also works very well in the vegetable garden. It's a follow-up fertilizer, flower beds, you bet. And then the dry fertilizers, the two different forms of growing green. Plus, they package things like humates, liquid wood, and dry. They package great molasses and seaweed. And, of course, uh, the soil activator, the Medina Plus. All of these things work with nature, not against nature. And it's the shortest path I know to having a beautiful garden, a beautiful landscape. They simply have just about everything you could be looking for. If you want to see the complete list of their products, go to MedinaAg.com. If you want to find their products, go to any good nursery or hardware store, farm and ranch store that stocks good quality natural products. You'll find wonderful things from Medina Agriculture. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening on a very nice Sunday morning out there. Appreciate everybody listening in across the hill country, South Texas, or wherever you might be listening on the Internet. Look, we're going to talk next to Stephen and then George and Nancy. Good morning, Stephen. Good morning, Bob. Uh, on the radio this morning here, they had uh, the CEO of the planned Arboretum San Antonio on, and it was very interesting listening to the guy. I was wondering about your thoughts on all this. Well, I tell you, I uh, I have not been involved. I've not really been informed uh, much about that. I I enjoy uh, you know what Arboretum stands for, which is basically you know a a collection of trees, mainly native trees of the area, um, and they're just they're a great natural area. I would love to see I would love to see a good arboretum uh, started here. We have a pretty good botanical garden, and an arboretum would very definitely uh, add to that. Where are they? Uh, where are they talking about creating this? Yeah, well, southeast San Antonio, there's an old golf course they're purchasing, and uh-huh. uh, then there'd be, uh, and then another piece of property. So they're going to have like I think he said 188 acres, and uh, of you're... course, being a golf course, it's already developed somewhat. Sure. Sure. Now, if we can just get rid of all the toxic chemicals they've been spraying on it for <laughs> the past fifty years, but no, you're much better informed than I. I I have to say I'm I because I don't live in Bear County. I don't keep up with things nearly as well as I do up in Kendall County, where you know where my home is. But uh, I appreciate knowing about that, and I will certainly make some inquiries to what more I can learn about. It. I'm surprised. Uh, oh golly, I think of our former forester Mark Peterson and various other friends. Sorry. Sorry, I haven't I haven't been brought up to date on it, but I will certainly do my best to catch up. And uh, once again, thanks for letting me know. Okay, you're welcome. Thank you. Bye. You're you're certainly welcome. Goodbye. Ah, next in line is George. Uh, good morning, George. Good morning, Bob. Good uh, morning. Uh, how long will uh, I've got a oh, almost a full gallon of Garrett juice from Medina, mm-hmm. uh, but I've had it. I've had it a year or two. Uh, I wonder if that would still be good or not. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. They I don't know if they still make there there is a form of Garrett Juice, they call it Garrett Juice Pro, uh, that they add mycorrhizal fungi to and they do not have as long a life, but the basic ingredients in Garrett Juice, uh as long as it hasn't been frozen or boiled, it's probably just as good as the day you bought it. I, I always jokingly tell people it doesn't do any good while it's in the jug. You, you better get out and make use of it. But no, it it's still fine sure. for you. I wouldn't hesitate to use it at all. Okay, well I was I was hoping that was gonna be the be the case. Well then you're Gary plus concentrate. Yeah, no, that 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 will be just fine. And you're you're very wise to ask that question because there are products like neem and some things like that that have a very short shelf life. But uh, Garrett sure. Juice and Garrett Juice Plus, uh, yeah, I'm going to give them minimum ten to twelve years shelf life. So if you're just a year out, uh, they're just who knows? They might have spent that much time sitting in somebody's warehouse before they even got <laughs> to you. So uh, no, they're stable yeah. and. Uh, um they'll they'll do good things for you okay great well that's all i needed and thank you for your time and thank you for the call george you have a wonderful weekend and a happy fourth and nancy's up next good morning nancy good morning thank you for taking my call good to hear your voice we've had an awful lot of male voices so far today so it's it's nice (laughs) to hear a a very pleasant lady (laughs) how are you today here i am yeah i have a question regarding Two uh, two items. I have a, a bullfrog, some bullfrogs in our yard, uh-huh. and of course they like their water inside. But that's the same water that the cats sometimes drink. Is there anything bad about you know them drinking? No, not not in okay. the least. It's uh, um, bullfrogs are bull. <laughs> they may keep you awake bullfrogs. at night with their songs, but. Um, and, and you will do everybody a favor. Is this like a fountain or is this like a pond? What? Uh, it's just what? buckets, buckets of water we put out there. Yeah. If if you have any way to keep a little bit of, uh, you know, air circ or a little bit of circulation going, if you put a little bubbler or you put a little sprayer or something like that, uh, the water will stay cleaner and fresher. But uh, if you're emptying it every few days and replacing it, no, the bullfrogs will love you and the kitty cats uh, won't be any problem at all. Now, tell them not to go after the bullfrogs because frogs and toads have special glands in their skin called poison glands. And uh, they're they're not going to kill anybody that tries to eat them, but... Let me tell you, and I see it a lot more with dogs than I do with cats. Uh, it'll sure cause them to to drool and foam at the mouth and <laughs> and look like they've yes. gotten into something really bad. So Mother Nature equipped them with a little bit of protection, but most of the cats sure. are smart enough to leave them alone. Or if if nothing sure. else, I had an old kitty cat that used to just have a tremendously good time just chasing them around the yard. This was more toads <laughs> and bullfrogs, but no. And enjoy your bullfrogs. Enjoy the fact that they eat all sorts of damaging insects. And uh, oh, um, good. They, <laughs> it's yeah. it, okay. they're just so, interesting and, creatures. I, you know, and uh, at a given time, you may end up with tadpoles. Big old bullfrog yeah. tadpoles are so interesting. So uh, you've got a little bit of nature in your yard. And that's a fun thing. Good. Uh, we love it. But the other question is, I I'm not a gardener, so I try to. Uh, 
plant some tomatoes this year, and unfortunately, they gave me some tomatoes, so I said, okay, I'm going to try it. So it's called Better Bush Hybrid mm-hmm. Tomatoes, but right. I have, n- there's no tomatoes in them since well, I started. With them. Yeah, you probably planted a little late, and uh, the Better Bush is a determinant tomato. It doesn't get real big, but it is a large-fruited tomatoes and a tomato and Large fruited tomatoes stop setting fruit when the nights get hot. Oh. That's why oh. you know we plant very early in the spring uh, on big fruited tomatoes. Uh, it's about time to plant a fall crop for anybody that wants to have more. If your plants are healthy and if you take good care of them, when the nights cool off, you'll start getting okay. tomatoes. But um, oh. what what part of town do you live in? Uh, here by Lackland area. Okay. Well, if you, you're you're a long way across town from us, but if you ever come over to the quarry, swing by Shades of Green. We did a, a big handout on everything a person would want to know about growing tomatoes and uh, lots of good free information in there. Stop by and pick one of them up and uh, you'll turn into uh, you'll turn into a much better tomato gardener. But it's good. no, it's well, it's yeah. nothing you're doing wrong. It's just uh, had you planted cherry tomatoes like Sun Gold or Sweet One Hundred or Juliet, they go on producing all summer long because they don't pay any attention to nighttime temperatures. But your I bigger see. fruited tomatoes, they're they're going to go on growing. But uh, until we start getting some much cooler nights, uh, they may even bloom. But until we start getting cooler nights, you're not going to have much fruit set. And don't waste your time on these blossom set and things they sell you to spray on the blooms uh it's not going to okay. give you a good tomato just patience is the only thing you need right now i will have patience and that's fine <laughs> <laughs> and Appreciate and it. if you if you want in the next couple of weeks you're going to start seeing new tomato plants show up in the nurseries uh get uh, my favorite tomato in the garden is a little yellow cherry called sweet 100 first thing i do when i go in the garden is you know pick and eat about 20 of those and they're just mm-hmm. so delicious and they will they will produce faster than you can eat them but uh mm-hmm. if you if you happen to see sweet 100s or red cherry sun gold is my favorite yellow cherry stick a couple of those in the ground and uh, you'll have you'll have lots of tomatoes real soon Sounds like a plan. Thank you so much for everything. I appreciate it. Always my pleasure. Questions. Okay. That's what I'm here for. Thanks, day. Nancy. You Thanks. too. Let's... Certainly. Goodbye. All right. Let's get a break out of the way. And uh, by the way, a couple of women lines, 210-599-5555. I get to talk to you about Sam Sitterly and Green Grow Organics. You know, I'm happy to be here for you Saturday and Sunday and uh, happy to answer any and every question that you might have related to gardening, but a lot of times you may have things going on in your yard where you would love to have a qualified person come out and actually physically walk your yard, walk your garden, walk your landscape with you and talk about any problems that may be occurring and uh, perhaps a little advice on things to add, just how to have the very best yard possible. Well, that's what Sam Sitterly and his crews have been doing for 30 years now, and they always do things organically. And with that kind of experience, they've seen just about every issue Mother Nature can create in our lawns and gardens here in this part of Texas. Uh, Sam's principal job is as a consultant. They do compost tea application. They do some fertilizing, but they're not your mow and trim and plant guys. But uh, take a look at their website, greengroworganics.com. 
and you'll see an awful lot of pretty landscapes or just an awful lot of people. We have customers that call him St. Sam because they say he's just totally saved their landscapes. Lots of folks set it up for Sam to come by on a monthly basis or a quarterly basis. Other people just call him as needed. But if you've got things going on in your landscape, if you're out to win Yard of the Month and just want some good advice, check out GreenGrowerOrganics.com and perhaps give Sam a call. Be sure you understand any charges up front, but tell him you'd like to set up a consultation. 599-5565, 599-5565. That's for Sam Sitterly and Green Grow Organics. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster. News Talk 550, KTSA and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening. Looks like it should be Pat and Clint and Judy and Matt in that order. Pat's first in line. Good morning, Pat. Good morning. Good morning. Um, I have a question. The weed killer with the vinegar and the molasses and the orange oil and everything Mm -hmm. does not kill my weeds. (laughs) It will kill... Tender weeds very, very quickly, but there are tougher things. Uh, Johnson grass, um, even Bermuda grass, can be hard to kill in the heat. It works best on weeds that are in active growth. So one thing about using it at this time of year, sometimes it's a good idea to water thoroughly two or three times and, you know, get them growing. If they're they're slowing down, if they're, you know, in kind of a, a... well, I don't know what you'd really call it, almost a resting state in the heat. It's not going to be real effective. What What is it that you're trying to kill? Well, uh, I guess you call them, uh, it's various things, but mm-hmm. I guess one of them is uh, thistle with the little fluffy white thing on it. And uh, But I've been spraying them since spring, and you know, and they just keep growing and keep growing. Uh, they're growing uh, in mostly in my backyard, uh, and they're growing in crushed granite and river rock, and they just will not die. <laughs> and I, you know, I have your formula, but uh, I sprayed them. You know, the last time I sprayed them was one day last week, but I mean, I started spraying them in the spring when they first came up. You know, and you're using and you're using the twenty percent vinegar. I'm using the. Uh, is it fifteen or I think it's fifteen, um, but it's more than the you know. Well, they're in the grocery store. Your stuff is either five percent or nine percent, and uh, on the tougher things, it definitely needs to be at least twenty percent. I would, uh, again, I would try watering. Be sure you add a little bit of uh, liquid dish soap to it. But now, uh, got, I've got your whole recipe. You know? Well, I, had, <laughs> I, 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 uh, what, I'm, what I'm cooking is not <laughs> working. Well. Uh, yeah, vinegar, uh, a gallon of, uh, let's see, what is it? it yeah, is, it's a, Gallon of vinegar, two ounces of orange oil. I have nine percent gallon of vinegar, uh, two ounces of orange oil, a tablespoon of molasses, and a couple drops of dish soap. And it just doesn't even make a dent in them. You're going to you're going to need to jump up to the twenty percent vinegar. 
Um, you can get that at hardware stores or nurseries or school supplies. I don't remember that you said ever 20%. I, I don't remember you ever saying that. Well, yeah, and uh, it's the 9% is, is fine on winter grass. It's fine on dandelions. It's fine on the... Uh, uh, on the more tender weeds, but when you're taking on the really tougher things like that, it's just not strong enough. I mean, yeah. um, you can't you can't knock down a, a buffalo with a 22. It takes something a little yeah. bit more powerful than that. Not that anyone should be going after buffalo, but um, uh, you're you're dealing with some of the toughest weeds Mother Nature throws at us, and the nine percent just isn't strong enough on those. Okay. Well, it it I mean, there's other other weeds besides those. And uh, um, it doesn't do anything to them either. <laughs> well, go try the 20%, get some good fresh 20%, and let me know what your results are with those. Because uh, um, especially, like I say, in the heat, they kind of put up a little extra shield. But uh, in spring and fall, you should get close to 100% control. But uh, I think you've just got some weeds that, that, that 9% is just not strong enough. Well, I'm looking at them right now, and and they, you know, they look a little a little peaked from from when I sprayed them last week. But yeah. they do that every time, and then they just pop right back. Well, give give the twenty percent a try, and okay. I think it'll make a big difference for you. All right, thank you. You're sure welcome, Pat. Okay. Thank you for the call. <laughs> Goodbye. Uh, Clint's up next. Good morning, Clint. Good morning. How's it going? Well, it'd be better if I'd had an inch of rain instead of an inch and a quarter, or instead of a quarter of an inch. But you know, I'm just happy to see it falling down from the sky. So uh, it's uh, it's a good morning. That's about what I got. I was happy to get that, and I know the grass here is looking better already. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's just amazing how much different rainwater is than city water or well water. So yeah, anytime we get even a even a bit of rain overnight, I, I wake up happier. So it's it's a good day in my world, and glad it is in yours too. Almost oh, definitely. If uh, Pat, you just talked to, still listening, uh, it's kind of, like you said, the twenty-two. She needs to make it a twenty-two magnum on that vinegar. <laughs> right. I, uh, I've uh, picked up some forty-five percent vinegar, and I do a fifty-fifty of that with the HEB nine percent vinegar. Uh huh. And <clears throat> he had mentioned even with the molasses put a little bit of that molasses with the other stuff and too it, it knocks out all my grass i did that around the garden yeah uh the grass the floor tam got grass plugs i got going on and it it wiped all that out now there's some tougher stuff even though that it puts a hurting on it but you got to do a second application on some of that yeah. real tough stuff well and you're you're a professional clint you know how to handle the 45 percent uh i mean that's eyewear that's that's gloves it's just that's that's a little bit more than I I recommend for um, inexperienced people. I'll put it that way. Twenty percent is kind of right in the middle. There, it's usually strong enough to do the job, but it's something that uh, you can handle safely. Forty-five percent. Let's just say somebody that didn't know what they're doing could get into trouble with that. But you've obviously got it down. Yeah, honestly, I, I dilute it down. I think it comes out to like 27% when it's diluted yeah. with the two different types. And yeah, you don't want to breathe it deep. Don't you keep your distance with it. <laughs> and keep Just it out of your eyes and keep it off your skin. Oh, yes, sir. Definitely. Well, I got something invading the uh, tomatoes. A little bug about a, your small thumb size is just destroying everything. What in the world would that be? 
it probably is a leaf-footed bug of some sort, uh, something in the stink bug family. Um, it, it's almost certainly a beetle, and you know there are only 100,000 different kinds of beetles, but uh, um, spinosad is the best thing to knock them back. Now, once they're fully mature, it's tough to hit. Anything will get them, but uh, in, the, in the younger ones, spinosad should get them. Uh, without knowing what it is, I can't tell you how well it will work but uh imagine you have used yellow sticky traps before have you tried those this summer i ain't had much luck with those yeah it uh um there there are lots of different ways to do it again there's some things like beetles that are just uh most of them are just as the adults they're really resistant just about anything we spray on them um, I've found one other thing that you can do. A lot of beetles, not all beetles, but a lot of them are attracted to light at night. And if you, uh, you know, put up a reflector or put up a bulb or something like that and put a couple of your sticky cards right next to that, it's amazing. Now, unfortunately, you get a few lace wings and other things that are, you don't really want to get rid of. But um, uh, I I'm, I'm, haven't seen anything unusual or different. Uh, plenty of those blasted leaf-footed bugs out there. And uh, they, you know, uh, you, you can kill the those little bright red larval stage of them pretty easily with spinosad. But the bigger beetles are tough. But uh, I'd, I'd give the sticky traps another try and perhaps, you know, at least try. Just hang out a, a bare bulb or put out one of those clip-on reflector types and, and see if that draws them in. They're also, and, and again, some things they work on, some things they don't, uh, they make what they call pheromone traps. And... Uh, there are a lot of the different troublesome insects. It's basically an insect sex hormone that draws them in, and they make a little, oh, a little uh, dab of this stuff, so to speak, that you put right in the middle of your yellow sticky trap, and that draws a lot of different troublesome insects into it. And then, of course, uh, the yellow sticky trap does its job of trapping them and getting rid of them. So. Um, I, I I'm not real sure what you're looking at, but my guess is if it's that tough, it's probably a beetle, and that's probably going to be the best way to go after them. You can also try spraying, uh, you know, the kale and clay surround whatever name you buy it under. That might slow some things down, but uh, some of the some of the beetles are tough this time of year. Um, you said spinosad soap. Can you make your own with a spinosad and like with a squirt of dawn or something? No, you're better to use an insecticidal soap. It's uh, uh, what they call the long chain something of a fatty acid. You're taking me back to organic chemistry, which I didn't enjoy. Uh, but the so-called insecticidal soaps um, are a little bit different molecular complex, and they're uh, just more effective. Uh, you can make your spinosad a little bit more effective, but the combination of spinosad along with the insecticidal soap that you can mix yourself or you buy it already mixed, uh, that's going to work better than just adding Dawn or something to it. Okay. And the tomatoes that started that did ripen before they came in had little white splotches and very fine ones. What would that cause that? Um, if it's not stink bug damage, uh, it could be sunburn. What lots of times happens is everywhere you got a drop of water sitting on the surface of either a fruit or a leaf, and the intense sun hits it, it's like a magnifying glass, and it will burn whatever is underneath it, and that would certainly 
and sometimes it's rain. Sometimes it's not even what you're doing. But if we get a little rainstorm, uh, get some water droplets standing on them, and that really hot sun comes out, it's just like little bitty mini patches of sunburn. Okay. Sounds good. Um, no no luck with the uh, NOLO people? or I have, We have tried everywhere that we've been able to find and put several different people working for it. And to date, uh, haven't been able to come up with anybody that's uh, producing it. It's, you know, it's it's a bacterial product, and um, I'm hoping that by next year at least we can get this new company that bought out Hydro Gardens. I hope we can get them interested in producing it because, as you can well imagine, there will be a tremendous market for it. And uh, I know they do some other related things, so I'm hoping that maybe by next year. But it, for the longest time, it was just one company in the U.S. was producing the NOLO, and it was uh, some older folks that uh, decided to give it up, and then they agreed to go back and make it again, which they did last year. But this year, for whatever reason, it's just not out there. Good deal. All right, Ross, you appreciate the time. Always a pleasure to talk to you. You have a great week and a happy fourth. Too. Thanks, Lynn. Thanks, Lynn. I appreciate it. All right. Hang on a minute, Judy and Matt. We need to get a break in here, and I need to talk to you about Fannix Nursery and Garden Center, and that's always a pleasure. Gosh, I've known I've known all three generations of the, the adult generations of the Fannix. So I had, had pleasure knowing old Liddy for a couple of years before he passed away, and he's the one that started Fannix Nursery almost 90 years ago. Then it was his son, John. Now the grandsons, Mark and Mike, they've got a new generation coming on as well. I only tell you that because when you've had one family on the same piece of land producing quality plants, selling quality plants, you know, they've pretty much gotten it down. They've seen just about every issue that could come along in South Texas. They are specialists when it comes to crepe myrtles. Right now they've got close to 100 different varieties of crepe myrtles over there. They're also well-known for their roses, and boy, in the... In the winter months, nobody has the assortment of fruit trees that they do. It's just always a good day to go see Fannix. So it'll be closed for the 4th of July, I'm sure. But uh, today, tomorrow, will be great days to go out and stock up on organic fertilizer, on mulch, on a new crepe myrtle for the yard. They've got lots of those perennials that qualify for the SAWS Water Saver Rebate Program. Within Acres Nursery, you've got room for a lot of different things. Plan to spend a little time looking around because you'll discover all sorts of things when you go back looking through the greenhouses and kind of wandering the property over there. Open seven days a week to serve you. Like I said, I'm pretty sure they'll be closed on the 4th of July. Check their website for more information. It's Fanick, F-A-N-I-C-K, FannickNursery.com. Tell them I said hello. Just get over and see them. Fanick's Nursery. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening. Matt and Frank are going to be my next two callers, and Matt is first in line. Good morning, Matt. Good morning, Matt. You there? I'm here. Uh, Good morning. How can I help today? Happy Independence Day a little early, Bob. Well, and the same to you, sir. Happy birthday to the country. Yes, sir. Hey, uh, Bob, I'm going to uh, pull my tomato plants out. Uh, they've, uh, they're just, they've just about had it between the uh, early blight and what I guess is uh, spider mites. Uh, and even though I spray every two or three weeks with the, um, with the uh, seaweed and the molasses, 
So uh-huh. my question is, th- th- this year I'm going to uh, do a fall garden, a tomato garden, which right. I haven't done in a long time. I'm, I'm banking on a, a mild El Nino uh, <laughs> summer and fall. I think we're all hopeful about that. So my question is, should I spray or can I spray everything now before I pull them with a spinosad to maybe cut back those um, those uh, spider mites uh, and, and give the new transplants in a couple of weeks a, a better chance of not getting them? Well, it certainly wouldn't hurt to do so. Now, the the early blight, of course, is a fungus disease, and you've got the spores in the soil, uh, and what you would want to do there is just dust that area real heavily with whole ground cornmeal. The spider mites themselves, I probably would go ahead and pull the plants and dispose of them or put them in a compost pile a long way away from the garden. And really, spider mites have a pretty short lifespan. And you're going to be at least a week away from planting your fall transplants. Uh, Well, probably at least a week away unless you're growing your own. And the ones that are left behind, once you get rid of those old plants um, and take away their ability to reproduce... You can spray if you want to, but uh, spider mites generally live less than a week to begin with, so I'm not going to tell you that's absolutely necessary. I would, you know, begin spraying immediately when you set your new plants out, and like I say, I would very definitely spread some whole ground cornmeal to uh, to try to slow down any issues you might have with early blight. Now, the one thing you're going to find planting a fall crop in July, um, which is a great thing to do, but Typically, that is a time when it is super sunny, it's super hot, and can be super windy. And sometimes these little transplants you're going to get have been grown in a you know, much more comfortable environment under a bit of shade and all. So what I do in planting fall tomatoes is I'll put my transplants out, but then I'll go ahead and put the tomato cage over them, even though they're very small, and then I'll wrap about the lower two feet of the cage with insulate or shade cloth or something like that to cut down on the sun and to cut down on the wind. And it just really helps them get off to a much better start. Uh, you could also, I mean, you can use almost anything, but getting 20, 30% shade over those little guys is will really make a big difference. And if you can do anything to keep the wind off of them, uh, again, you're taking them from a pretty sheltered environment, putting them into a pretty harsh environment. So Give them a little bit of a head start if you can. I heard you talk about the yesterday, and I've got the uh, Texas tomato cages, and I'll wrap those with the uh, yeah. insulate, and then I also have the forty percent or thirty percent shade cloth. So perfect. Hey, what are, what what varieties do you like for the fall? I like Celebrity. It's a big fruited tomato. It's hard to beat. Uh, I like Purple Cherokee. I still like Lemon Boy. Uh, there's a very similar one called Carolina Gold. Um, those are all good big fruited tomatoes. If you like Tycoon, they're going to grow and produce well for you. I just don't think they have as good a flavor as some of the others. Uh, but then, of course, I love Sun Gold, Sweet 100s, and uh, Juliet. Those three cherries are always going to go in with my big fruited varieties as well. Okay. A couple more uh, quick questions, if I may. Uh, by Pavonia, can I cut that back? I'd like it to be a little more bushy. It's in Absolutely. Sun. It's just... Yeah. Okay, cut it back uh, to, just, uh, about a foot tall? Well, don't don't go by size. You don't want to take off more than 50% of the foliage. So cut it back to where you want it to branch. Uh, if that would end up taking most of the foliage off, then do it in two stages. Cut about half of it, 
let it start putting on new growth and then cut the other half. It's it's the amount of foliage you want to be careful not to take more than 50% off. Okay, and last question is, uh, how do you propagate dwarf plumbago? Dwarf plumbago grows very easily from cuttings. You know, it also makes those underground runners. Uh, you can just go dig up little, you know, three-inch plugs of it, so to speak, if you had to have a big bed of it. Uh, but the commercial growers, they do it from cuttings rooted in perlite usually. Okay, just three or four-inch long cutting off the tip yeah. right now? Yeah. Yeah, and about an inch of it in the perlite. Remember that it is not a plumbago. Uh, it is something called serratostigma. Uh, it's called serratostigma plumbagioides, which means looks like plumbago. Uh, dwarf plumbago is a common name, but it's not related at all to the taller growing plumbago. So it's a little bit different to grow and propagate. Very good. Great plan. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now. 210-599-5555. All right, back to gardening. And uh, I do have to think one open line. So uh, if you have been getting a busy signal, grab it, 210-599-5555. Looks like we're going to visit with Judy first, and then it will be Frank, and then it will be Leslie. So good morning, Judy. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. Uh, is it is it too late to start more cucumbers, okra, and squash? No. You can start all three of those things. The okra, you need to get that done pretty soon because it, it takes a little while to grow up and start producing. But uh, uh, squash and cucumbers, I'd probably stick with the summer varieties. And, um, uh, well, it really depends on how big your garden is, whether you want to go with the bushing forms or the vining forms. But uh, if you have any way create just a little shade over the area when you first start them it probably will help them out but uh both uh, and, and i guess one more thing i'd tell you about cucumbers the english cucumbers in my experience don't do as well in the heat as some of the uh, old-fashioned varieties like straight aid or national pickling um yeah there's a little i just one. want to do the pickling yeah no you you should be fine you should okay. be fine i uh, but if, you know, you just obviously nobody knows what the weather's going to do more than 10 minutes in advance. But uh, if you can give them just a little bit of shade, just a little bit of protection when they're first up and started. And beyond that, just, you know, keep up with uh, your seaweed sprays, keep up with uh, give them a thorough drink of water and then wait till that soil is good and dry on the surface before you give another one. My rule in the vegetable garden and in the flower garden both is if things are droopy in the afternoon, many times it's just the heat. Uh, if they're still droopy the next morning, then it's very definitely time to water. But a lot of people look at them drooping, run out and water, and wind up keeping the plants too wet, which cucumbers do not like. So uh, water them thoroughly when you water. But again, I wouldn't be real concerned if they're a little droopy in the late afternoon. If they're still droopy the next morning, then very definitely give them another thorough watering. Makes sense, because I'm droopy in the afternoon, too. <laughs> <laughs> I, I certainly know that feeling. Uh, the other thing, too, and it just kind of depends on where you are, there's no question that we don't have the usual population of honeybees out there, and it uh, goes for mason bees as well. So you may want to keep that little paintbrush handy and uh, plan on doing uh, some of the pollination yourself, because the the bees just aren't out there in the numbers that we usually see. And talking to a lot of people that are having some issues, if you if you have what we call incomplete pollination, you you have to have one pollen grain 
transfer to the female flower for every seed that would normally be in the cucumber or in the squash. If you don't get a lot of pollen moved from the male flower to the female flower, uh, the squash or cucumber will start to develop and then it'll just rot on you. So um, you and, and morning is just fine. You don't have to wait till the hot afternoon, but you may want to get out there with your little paintbrush and play uh, play B and transfer some pollen around to be sure you get good fruit set that will go ahead and develop well for you. Well, thankfully, I'm seeing a lot of bees at my bird bath. Well, you're 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 doing well then. I'm I'm glad for you. Okay, and is there anything at all left to control the little grasshoppers in the yard? There isn't, <laughs> excuse me, you know, putting out bird feeders and things. The birds eat a lot of little grasshoppers, but not not anything in the way of an insecticide to control them. Uh, there's a product yeah. out there called kale and clay. You can get it at a hobby shop or you can buy it a lot of places under the name of Surround, S-U-R-R-O-U-N-D, Surround W-P. Mix it with water and spray it on the foliage and the grasshoppers don't like the taste or consistency of it and that will cut down a lot on the damage but unfortunately it doesn't kill the grasshoppers oh okay all righty well thank you so much bob well it's my pleasure i sure appreciate the call this morning thank you all right let's see goodbye uh, looks like next in line is going to be uh, frank then it's gonna be leslie and don good morning frank Hey, good morning, Bob. Good morning. Uh, well, uh, after that uh, bad winter we had, I had a few spots in my yard that browned up, you know, never got green, and I spread some of uh, what I bought was compost with uh, cow manure in it. Okay. And uh, I spread it on those areas, and uh, that looks pretty good. Now I got one whole bag left over. And I'm wondering, should I can I spread that over the yard just anywhere, or what should I do with it? Is this black cow or one of the uh, really well-composted manures? It says, um, I think it says black, I think it says cow, cow manure. Yeah. Do this. Um, open it and stick your hand down into the bag. If it feels really warm, if it feels higher than air temperature, then it is still breaking down, and I would not put it on your grass. If it feels just air temperature, if it feels like it's fully broken down, then you can go ahead and use it anywhere you want. If it's not fully broken down, you can use it as emulsion flower beds. You can use it around trees and shrubs, and uh, but I wouldn't put it on your grass. But if it is, uh, the most common brand of cow manure is what they call black cow, and uh, that stuff is so far breaking down, you can use that pretty much 365 days a year. Okay. <clears throat> this one's called um, some Texas kind or something like that. Huh. <clears throat> well, again, uh, just... Uh, real quick, the other thing is, <clears throat> I don't know why I did it. I saw a tomato plant at one of the shops around here. So mm -hmm. I bought it and planted it, and now I'm, I was thinking about it. It's too late to plant tomatoes. No, sir. It's just now time to get started planting. In fact, uh, uh, we're promised uh, from some of our growers uh, the... Uh, next week will be a new crop. It uh, won't be quite as many varieties at first, but uh, we're, we start planting in July for the fall. Have to do a few things. Have to give them a little protection from the sun and from the wind when you first set them out. 
But I think you're going to find virtually all the nurseries in the next two weeks are going to start getting fall tomatoes in and uh, absolutely time to plant them and get ready for fall. Oh, good. Okay. Uh, I sure thank you, Bob. I'll talk to you later. I look forward to it. You have a great uh, weekend, a great 4th of July. I appreciate the call. Thanks so much. And like I was telling someone else a little earlier, if you're just joining me, those new tomato transplants are probably going to come out of a pretty protected environment. They're not used to the sun, the heat, or the wind. And what I do is go ahead and put the tomato cage over them after you plant them, but wrap that up either with some shade cloth or I use a little bit of the insulate fabric. Uh, Short of doing that, create a little bit of shade in whatever way you can because uh, they're moving from a very protected environment to a very harsh environment. You want to get off to a good start. Um, Let's see here. Yeah, let's go ahead and uh, take one more phone call before we take a break, and that would be Leslie. Good morning, Leslie. Good morning. How are you? Off to a good start. It's a nice Sunday morning out there. It is. I have questions about mushrooms and fungus. Um, excuse me, I have a four-month-old boxer puppy, and he has keep, he keeps sniffing out a few single white skinny mushrooms growing in the dirt between stepping stones. Right. Um, I've taken them out of his mouth, um, <clears throat> and obviously I don't want him eating them or swallowing them. <laughs> um, so the first thing is I need to uh, figure out how to prevent them from growing or kill them because he's got a good sniffer. Well, the other problem I have is a probably a, a bigger problem right now. I have a 10-year-old uh, Mediterranean fan palm that is growing in a large river rock area. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> I did not know until I moved a lot of fronds that there is a very large fungus, what I've identified closest as an artist's bracket fungus. It looks like a huge puffy flower taco or tortilla, excuse me. Okay. And he he found this before I did and was playing and was apparently running by and grabbing bites off of it. So now <laughs> he is sitting in the uh, ER uh, with elevated liver values. And right. I need to figure out how to kill this thing or get rid of it, or whatever, so it doesn't grow back again, because I really don't need it to kill him. Well, absolutely not, and and unless he has a real sensitivity to it, it'll very definitely create a real upset tummy, but uh, they, beyond that, they're, they're usually not super, super toxic to puppy dogs, but um, the, the problem with trying to get rid of, uh, you know, what, what you're looking at is the fruiting body of a fungus. Uh, The fungus, the body of the fungus called the mycelium, basically is underground or sometimes in the tissue of a plant. And when the fungus decides it's time to reproduce, then it makes a cap or a shelf or something like that. And the purpose, uh, as far as the mushroom is concerned, is that is to produce spores, which is what's going to create the next generation. Uh, If you've had a tree cut down or had a tree die or something like that, Many times you will see like a row of the little toadstools, mushrooms, whatever you want to call them. They're actually two different mm-hmm. things. But you'll see lines of these things coming up in the yard. And it's just it's a natural part of the process that the breakdown of woody tissue, this, uh, this mycelium, the body of the fungus is growing in the wood. And then it's just pushing up the little caps in order to reproduce. So 
there's not really, you know, a way to to entirely kill the fungus out. Um, the one thing you can do, and I would do this very early in the morning because uh, uh, it's just it can burn in the heat of the day. Uh, sulfur is one of the best things out there for controlling fungi, but uh, you, you, I'd want to use it on a, you know, early in the morning. I'd want to use it on a cloudy day. I would just dust it around the area, you know, where the where the fungi, the the mushrooms, toadstools, whatever, are coming up. And that's probably the best control that uh, you're going to have for it, other than just you know breaking them off, mowing them off. But it's just it's it's just the reproductive stru- structure of a fungus, and um, uh, there's not really a real good way to eliminate it. Uh, again, you can get out there with a rake, you can knock them over, you could probably spray with. Um, Oh, gosh, maybe a little dilute orange oil, something like that, that is a pretty good solvent. You just have to do a little experimenting to see what will, you know, knock them down without hurting your grass and your other plants. But um, they're they're very transient. I mean, for the most part, they're only going to be there a day or two. But at the same time, you you don't don't want the puppy to be munching on a whole lot of them if you feel like, uh, your dog has ingested some, and uh, you want to make him, you know, throw up. You want to get him out of his tummy. Best thing you can do, uh, well, maybe I'll talk to Dr. Kirby about this when his show starts at 11, but uh, I've always found that just a little bit of hydrogen peroxide poured in a dog's mouth will usually safely empty his tummy very quickly. Now, you don't do that if a dog has gotten in some sort of solvent or antifreeze or you know, something like that, because you don't want to create any right. aspiration problems. But if you just need to right. get uh, a few mushrooms out of the tummy, a little bit of little bit of hydrogen peroxide will do it safely pretty quickly. Right. I did do some of that when he <clears throat> he threw up all of the or most of the the fungus that he had eaten, um, uh-huh. and then I did do some hydrogen peroxide. Uh, but <clears throat> apparently, his body had absorbed just enough of it to make him pretty sick. So. Yep. Well, and I'm, I'm, I'm willing to sacrifice the, uh, the the fan palm for him if need be, but I'm just trying to figure out, you know, no, how, I, how do I keep it from regrowing? I, uh, again, if it's something like a shelf fungus, it's very unusual to have it on a palm, but not unheard of. Just break it off and dab the area where you uh, took it off with, with sulfur. Get uh, some sulfur there. Actually, you can get something called uh, 50W, which stands for 50% wettable. Um, you can get this at a nursery or a hardware store usually, and uh, it, it goes into solution. It doesn't really dissolve, but wettable sulfur means that you can combine it with water and spray it. And again, be careful using it in the heat, but uh, if you break off the shelf or if you kind of disrupt where it's growing around your bed palm, um, you can probably burn it out with a little bit of something like wettable sulfur. Okay. All right. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Have they got your puppy on IV fluids? They do. They have him on IV fluids, and they have him on some liver-supportive medications. Yep. yep his, his liver levels are up. They're not, they're not horrible. I'm waiting to hear this morning how if they're stable, going up, going down. But um, they, they should start down pretty rapidly. And uh, uh, maybe I'll, I'll make a note here. Maybe I can get Dr. Kirby to talk a, a bit about that uh, 
you know, when his show starts at 11. If you're still able to listen to the radio, tune in, and we'll, we'll try to talk about that early in the show. Absolutely. I will do that. Thank you so much. You're welcome, and thank you for the call this morning. <laughs> Goodbye. Um, let's see here. Greg, I don't have a live. Let's run the recordings, and then we'll get back to some more phone calls. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster. News Talk 550, KTSA, and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening. That old sun's starting to come out. It's going to steam for a while, but uh, still not as bad. Yeah, boy, compared to last year, we're, we're substantially cooler. So hope you're able to get out and enjoy this wonderful day. Next in line is going to be Don. Good morning, Don. Good morning, Bob. Morning, sir. I've got a question for you. How long does it take after you plant squash seeds until production? Depends on the variety of squash. Now, what we call the summer squash, we ought to just call them short season squashes, which would include the patty pans, the zucchinis, the crooknecks, and straightnecks. The the package will tell you they start producing in 40 to 45 days. I've had them start producing in as little as 25 days the way that I grow. So um, I'm going to tell you plan on four to six weeks. Now, your okay. so-called winter squash, or what I call long-season squash, those can be 90 to 120 days. So it's getting getting awful late to be planting spaghetti squash or, you know, some of those. But your your summer squash types, especially the crooknecks and zucchinis, uh, um, I, I'm going to tell you less than 50 days for sure. Okay, because I was planning on putting in in August, try to, you know, try to beat the heat. Mm-hmm. You know, stay away from the heat as much as I can and try to produce the yellow and the zucchinis right before the freeze. Ah, you're fine that to do that. Sense. Yeah, that makes yeah, good sense. I don't want, yeah, I don't you, want to put up all the shade call for squash because I'll be taking <laughs> it down for winter. There you go. No, you should be fine. Um, I probably would look at the middle of August, uh, and, and that's going to give you a good time to harvest a lot of squash. Just by... By mid-August, typically, our nights start cooling down, and it just depends on the year. Some years, August can be brutally hot in the afternoons, but most years, that's when the heat is going to start to break. So uh, toward the second half of August, I think you would be just fine. But I have to tell you, if you really like squash, go ahead and plant some today, and uh, you'll be picking it, um, you know, a little bit earlier than plant some more in August to carry on into the fall. Yeah, my problem is is I haven't got in the garden yet to finish shredding down the rest of it. <laughs> well, part of it done, and I got to start the preparation. So I wanted to make sure and shred it, burn it off good, and then get in there and work with it. Well, you're you, you'll have plenty of time to do it. August will be a good month to plant some more squash. All righty, Bob. Thank you very much for your time. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for the call this morning. I do appreciate it. Ah, let's see. Looks like uh, next in line, I believe, is going to be Scott. Yeah, going to be Scott, and then Chicken Joe, and then Christine. Good morning, Scott. Morning. Morning, sir. Um, So I have two questions. One, this is just about the right time to plant pumpkins for Halloween, correct? Yes, it is. Now... (laughs) Excuse me. It's we're we're not in ideal pumpkin planting country because you know this is just going to be the hottest part of the summer. But if you want to have some forming on your vines, 
now would be the time to start them. If you can arrange a little bit of shade or a little bit of protection until those vines get up to be a foot or 18 inches long, um, it, it'll be better. But, uh, yeah, right now is the time because most pumpkins are going to be 60 to 75-day varieties. And uh, to have them as we get close to Halloween and Thanksgiving, um, now the next three or four weeks are going to be the time to get them planted. Okay. And second question was tomatoes. Is now a good time or next weekend uh, to trim them back a little bit? It is on your on your large fruited tomatoes, but yeah, the uh, large fruited varieties are not going to set much more fruit until the nights cool off. Your cherries don't really care if you want to trim them back, get a little bit of new growth on them. You can, but chances are they're going to go on producing regardless whether you cut them back or not. If you decide you want to cut them back, I would think about you know rooting the cuttings. And those are going to be as good, in fact, in many ways, even better than any plant you can buy. So if your sun goals and sweet 100s and things, if they need to be trimmed, take some little four to five inch uh, uh, cuttings from just the end of the vines. Uh, they root very, very easily. And those are going to be stronger and better heat adapted than uh, all the transplants are going to be showing up in the nurseries uh, starting the next week or two. Gotcha. All right. Thanks, sir. Well, it's always a pleasure. Good question and good call, Scott. You get out and have a good afternoon. And uh, let's go ahead and get Chicken Joe in here before our next break. Good morning, Joe. Hey, good morning, Bob. So it was, what, about upper 40s or lower 50s for you this morning up in Colorado where you're you're sitting there very comfortable while the rest of us are sweating? Is that the way it is? (laughs) Yeah, it's the way it is. But, you know, we pay a little bit of a price. Well, yeah, my garden is just still not started. I don't have a single fruit on any of my plants. Well, so, uh, back up <laughs> down there, down in San Antonio, it's a race against the heat. Yeah. Well, I tell you what, there are an awful lot of people that I think would uh, would happily put the garden on hold if they could uh, if they could enjoy some of that good Colorado air. So I'm glad you're where you are. How can I help you today? Well, I got I got a simple question from a simple mind. Uh, I have uh, sort of along the lines of the question about the garret juice earlier this morning. I've got uh, about a half a sack of myco stem that I was going to put out of the garden this morning. Uh, I bought it last year. Does that last over the, over the winter? Was it out in an area where it could freeze, or was it pretty much at uh, at room temperature? It was in a shed where it would definitely freeze, yeah. Um, it's probably, you'll get a little bit of benefit from it, but uh, I'm sure the freezing weather is, has taken its toll. It's it's one of those things where you have any kind of living organism. Uh, there's some things yeah. that have, you know, reproductive or have a dormant state, so to speak, that'll put up with a whole yeah. lot, but yeah. uh, you probably got well below freezing this winter, so I'm afraid I'd buy some fresh. Okay, I'll do I'll do that. All right, well, great. I'll let you go, and i got to get out in the garden. <laughs> Joe, you have a wonderful day of it, and uh, thanks for putting up with a little good-natured ribbing. We're just, we're just all jealous of people that get to spend some time in Colorado in the summer months. So uh, you enjoy, and maybe we'll trade you a little cool air for a little warm air sometime. <laughs> have a, have a great right. Fourth of Thank July. You. Thank you, sir. Thank you.
certainly go by. Uh, Christine, hang on a minute. Uh, Greg, let's get a break out of the way here so we don't get behind. We'll be right back with more phone calls. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening, and let's just get right straight back to the phone calls. It's going to be Christine, Marie, Omar, and David. Christine is first in line. Good morning. Hi, Bob. It's Christy. Christy, good to hear your voice. Uh, How are you today? I, I'm, oh gosh, I'm loving it today. It's beautiful. Rain last night here in Mason, put the beneficial nematodes out. It rained on top of it. Couldn't be happier. <laughs> You're living right. <laughs> yeah. Very good. But I, I do have two questions. So my beautiful mesquite tree, we call it the tree of life. It's got a, a lot of the branches that have gone up and are literally hanging on the ground now. Is mm-hmm. it okay to trim those off? Sure, sure. Okay. Mesquite is, you, you won't find a tougher plant out there or something that's better adapted to Texas soils and weather. Mesquite is just, uh, you can pretty much do anything you want to, and don't worry about it when it starts getting a little mistletoe in it, which most mesquites do after a while. Totally harmless to the tree, and uh, just remember, it's got quite a few thorns on it, so wear those heavy gloves and some eye protection while you're doing your trimming. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I just don't like it on the ground because the ants are going up on the leaves, up the tree, <laughs> into the bird feeder. And the second big problem at the house outside of San Antonio and Halotis our two hackberries died, so we had them cut down because they were uh-huh. cracking. What do I do to get a those massive roots out and all the baby hackberries like popping up everywhere in my yard? Well, of course, hackberries made a lot, make a lot of seed, uh, and they also you know will sprout off of the roots if uh, if the plants you know if the big trees got busted up in a storm or whatever, if they were still alive when they went down, then the roots are still alive, and uh, there's just you, almost somebody has to get out with a grubbing hoe and just chop out those spru- sprouts that are coming out on the roots. Uh, there's a real neat machine. It's something that usually you want to get a professional to do, but there's something called a stump grinder. Uh, it's something yes, he did that. He and, did and, that, and I collected all the beautiful sawdust from it and threw it in the compost with a whole bunch of other stuff so he ground the stumps down we were able to pull some of the roots out yeah i've hacked them with a chainsaw Mm -hmm. and i'll be darned their stuff's still growing well the the best thing and you know chainsaw is one way to go i Imagine this, you've got a root that's close to the ground and you've got this little adventitious bud that has decided it wants to make a shoot coming up. I get out there, do you know what a grubbing hoe is? It's kind of like a pickaxe with the flat thing. I just get out there with the grubbing hoe and I just try to slice right below ground level. You'll do this probably for maybe as much as six months, but you'll have fewer and fewer and eventually the tree will just give up. Those roots can't keep trying to sprout out forever. But short of using toxic stuff that I wouldn't really recommend. No, I don't it, want a, to. Yeah, it's a it's a very temporary problem with having the sprouts. Since you've ground the stump down, this is only going to go on for a very short while. Now, having hackberries come up from seed, 
that's a whole nother problem. And uh, in, in my yard and my garden, you know, I live in a house that's well over 100 years old. And 100 yeah. years ago, they, they cut down oak trees to plant hackberries because that was the newest uh. and latest tree. Um, but anyway, uh, it's uh, after a rain, I try to get out and the little ones, I pull everything I can pull because those little seedlings come up out of the ground with the taproot and all, and then you're rid of them forever. If you let them get much bigger, they're a whole lot more trouble to control. So uh, what right. you're dealing with, though, is much more, you know, the sprouts that are coming off the roots. And, uh, you know, it, it'd probably take you 15 minutes in the cool of the morning. Do that once a month okay. or so, and they'll, they'll stop coming back. And they'll stop. Yeah, I have the grubbing hole up here for the baby mesquites. Yeah, that yes, ma'am. up in the, in the pasture. <laughs> You're dead. Boy. Okay, yep. well, thank you so much, and happy 4th of July. And the same to you, Christy. It's always good to hear you. Thank you so much. Take care. You All right. too. Goodbye. Uh, next in line is Marie. Good morning, Marie. Good morning, good morning Bob. How are you good. today? Uh, the day's off to a good start. It's a beautiful, sunshiny day. And as long as you don't have too many clothes on, it'll be it'll be it's shorts and T-shirt weather for me. And I kind of like that. So uh, uh, just don't spend too much time out in the sun and you'll have a good day of it. That's right. Well, my question is about chiggers. I've been mowing a yard for over 25 years and never had chiggers like I have this year. I don't, I mean, and I live in the country, not on a manicured, beautiful lawn. This is just wild uh, turf with more rocks than dirt. Is there anything that you know will work on chiggers? And are they cyclical? I mean, I've never had them like this. Well, it's just thank you all the good rains of spring is why the when it gets hot and dry, you won't have a sugar problem. But I go after it two ways. Uh, I use uh, a personal repellent. Mine happens to be Murphy's. I don't like anything with DEET in it. But uh, I will, you know, I'll rub down my up to my knees uh, with, with uh, the Murphy's Natural Insect Repellent. I know a lot of people use it for mosquitoes, but it also works extremely well against mosquitoes. The uh, are against chiggers. The if you want to spray your yard with something simple and effective, cedar oil is the best thing I have ever found. Uh, had an old friend who's unfortunately passed away, but Bodie was managing all the little league fields up in the Bandera area, and he would spray. I mean, you know, when you got kids, they're going to be sliding, rolling, and doing everything else in the grass, and uh, he mm -hmm. would spray about three times a summer with cedar oil which you can buy, I think the, the name you're likely to find it under most is Cedar Repel by Nature's Creation. Uh, either okay. in the cool of the morning or the cool of the evening, spray your area where you're going to be working with Cedar Repel, and you won't have any chiggers out there. Oh, wow, that's wonderful news. I really appreciate it, and I'll let you get on to your other callers. I hope you have a blessed Fourth of July. And you too, Marie. Happy birthday to our wonderful country. Amen. Thank you. Yes, sir. Thank you. Bye-bye. Goodbye. <laughs> Excuse me. Boy, sometimes I, I think our founding fathers would turn over in their graves if they saw everything was going on these days. But again, I'll leave that to Trey and Jack and uh, some of the other guys. We just enjoy talking gardening. And next in line is Omar. Good morning, Omar. Good morning, Bob. How are you doing? Off to a good start. So just, you know, every day is a good day. Some are just better than others. But I think this is going to be a good one. Yes, sir. I've got several questions, so I'll get I'll get on it. Um, okay. 
I grow a cup a couple of green varieties of tomatoes. <clears throat> does the, the soil imbalance of calcium, magnesium, the, the blossom end rot, does it not affect that variety? Because I've never I have it in my reds, but I, I've never had it in my greens. And boy, I knock just on wood this year. Yeah, knock on wood when you say that. It can, uh, but you know some some tomatoes are just more susceptible. Like the Romas are much more Romas, susceptible. Yeah. Some are less susceptible. But I don't want to lose a single tomato, and there's nothing wrong with Epsom salts. They do some other good things, you know, with balancing calcium and magnesium in the soil. Um, it, it's an interesting question, and like you, I, green zebra is about the only uh, green that I grow with any regularity, and I have to say I've, I've not seen blossom end rot on it, so you may very well have something there, but why take a chance? <laughs> it, yeah, Epsom yeah. salts are cheap and easy, but uh, uh, let's just say you're much less likely to have a problem but weather plays a part in it as well as the soil, and uh, crazy year we're having this year. I'm not going to say anything's impossible. Got you. Um, <clears throat> I started some asparagus in, in in February or March or something like that. I, uh, mm-hmm. uh, I ended up with six. I got six up, and now I'm down to three, but those three are doing really, really, really well. Okay. The commercial asparagus growers, do they – are they – these things are, you know, they're six inches tall, and they're in full sun, and we, you know, I'm 80 miles south of San Antonio, and it is hot right. and dry and windy, and it doesn't seem to affect them. Is that how they're grown? Oh, yeah. Yeah, the the commercial production, <coughs> excuse me, the, there are lots of, most of them are produced in California in some of these areas, but uh, the only negative about growing asparagus uh, where you are or where I am is just the stalks grow so quickly that if you don't pick them today, they're going to be tough and not so good tomorrow. You've got it's something that you're going to have to pick every single day. But uh, and of course we're not picking in, in the hot part of the year. But you can grow extremely good asparagus where you are. It is a very thirsty plant. Uh, you're going to be watering, oh, probably daily or at the very least every other day. And anybody's having trouble with their asparagus, it's probably because you're not watering it thoroughly enough or often enough. But uh, if you'll tend to the moisture, you can grow very good asparagus. And, um, again, you're a little further south, so yours may or may not freeze back. If it hasn't frozen back by the 1st of January, just cut it down to about an inch tall. And uh, three plants isn't nearly enough. You need to have 25 or 30 plants out there if you really like asparagus. Mm-hmm. Okay, I got you. I'll keep, I'll keep at it. <clears throat> yeah, but, but keep at it with the, wa- with the water. That's, that's the main reason people have trouble. Uh, mulching mm-hmm. them, of course, is also going to help, and it's going to cut down a little bit on you know, how much water they use. But uh, healthy asparagus should be four to five feet tall. It just forms a forest. I tend to tie it up, back up against a fence. Uh, if some of it snaps off in the wind, so be it. But the more foliage you have on it this time of year, uh, the more shoots you will get in the, you know, about January, February. Gotcha. And my last deal is <clears throat> I'm getting decimated by grasshoppers, and I heard you earlier say there's not much out there that that will do anything right now. But insecticidal soap, does that, that, that doesn't? It doesn't do much against them. Uh, they're just tough creatures. You know, the Bible talks about the plague of the locusts, which in effect just a form of grasshopper. So there are a few thousand years that people have been trying to find a solution to these things. And um, I, I think still the best thing, until we can get somebody producing that bacteria, Nosema locustri, which uh, works against them, 
your best bet is to find some kale and clay at a hobby shop or uh, you buy it under the name of Surround WP for wettable powder. Um, mix it up, spray it on the foliage. The grasshoppers, it, it apparently really interferes with their digestion and obviously you can't spray a hay crop with it, but uh, your garden, your flower beds, things like that. It will really slow the grasshoppers down and get them, get them going somewhere else. Gotcha, gotcha. All righty, sir. Well, I certainly appreciate the information. Well, it's always a pleasure talking to you, Omar. You get out and have a wonderful weekend and a happy fourth. You too. Thank you, Thank you. Thank you sir. Goodbye. Reminds me uh, to remind you, I'm pretty sure if you listen to KTSA regularly, and I hope you do, you know about uh, what we call Operation Interdependence, so where we and a lot of our sponsors encourage people to make donations to help our troops serving overseas. Those guys and gals, you just can't imagine how much they appreciate a package from home. And Operation Interdependence, well, we're out there to give them the support they richly deserve. Uh, And it goes up through the 4th of July, and that's just two days from now. So I hope you get out tomorrow. Go to KTSA.com. You get all the full details. You get a suggestion of things that the troops like to receive. Most all of our sponsors are recipient areas where you can drop things off and uh just we're getting real close to closing it down when the 4th of July gets here. So be sure and remember the men and women that give us our freedoms to get out and enjoy things like the 4th of July. But uh, go to KTSA.com, get the full details. But just really just today and tomorrow will be the last days to really get out and donate. And I certainly hope you will. Uh, Greg, let's get a break out of the way. We'll be back in a moment and start with uh, David. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster. News Talk 550, KTSA, and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening. Getting pretty close to the 10 o'clock hour, but that means we've got another hour of gardening to go. Then we get to talk about your pet's health with Dr. Dan Kirby from 11 till noon, and hope you'll be able to stay with us. Right now, back to the phone lines. David is next in line. Good morning, David. Good morning, Bob. How are you doing? Uh, it, oh, <laughs> well, I, I'm certainly not going to lie about that, but uh, uh, it's tolerable. You know, if I didn't like it, I could go somewhere else, but Texas is home, and uh, I enjoy going yes, some sir. of those cooler places, but I always enjoy coming home, so you're not going to find yes, many complaints sir. from me. How about yourself? Yeah, that's right. Oh, I'm sitting here looking at the window. I've been outside already, water my plants and all the bologna. <laughs> I'm taking it easy right now. Listen, I call you. I think I called you yesterday about my rose. Rose is turning black on the tips that I prune. Mm-hmm. Right. What causes that? You never told me what causes that. Maybe I'm doing something I'm not supposed to be doing. Uh, heck, I don't know. Well, it's part of it. You want to be sure you have really sharp shears. If your shears are at all dull, and um, you crush the tissue then uh, that can cause a blackening. Um, some varieties just seem to be probably have more tender stems. Some of them seem to be more susceptible than others. Uh, really big canes, there's actually a little worm, a little borer that gets down um, in the center of that. If you're making cuts, you know, bigger than, oh, golly, as big as your index finger or something, oh, I'd no. probably, yeah, no, I... It's probably just natural, but the best thing you can do, of course, is prune during the cooler hours of the day and keep those shears good and sharp. Uh, Probably the single most common cause of that is where you're crushing the stem instead of, uh, you know, cutting it real cleanly. 
I always like the shears. They're called bypass pruners. And what that means is that the cutting blade actually passes over, you know, the second blade. Uh, the other kind are what they call anvil pruners, and that's where the cutting blade just cuts down against the flat surface. Uh, those are real bad about crushing the stems, but the so-called bypass pruners, and it's probably going to say that somewhere on the package or on the card, always go with the bypass pruners, always make real sure they're sharp and um, good pruners can be expensive, and uh, sadly, <laughs> yeah, sadly, uh, they make a lot better steel in uh, Scandinavia and in Europe than we do in this country. And uh, but there, there's some good pruners out there. I think my favorite brand is probably uh, they're called ARS pruners. Uh, oh. There's another real good brand called Felco that come out of Switzerland, but um, hmm. that's that's talking a little bit around. The issue of the the black stem showing up on the roses. Also, when you prune, you do want to go a reasonable distance down the stem. Don't just cut out right where the rose was. Um, and my oh, old no. friend Alton Alton Grimm taught me this many years ago. But the roses form; they have the little the leaf stem that comes out, and then you have the individual leaflets on that little thing. All that comprises one leaf. But if you look carefully, when you get out toward the end of the stem, some of them will have three leaflets. When you move further back down the stem, you'll see that they have five leaflets per leaf. And uh, Alton used to teach me, always prune back at least to a five-leaflet joint. Uh, and, you know, so you're cutting down into something that's uh, yeah. the size of at least a soda straw. Uh, if you get a real small, thin stem, uh, those are always going to turn black on you. But I think if you get good, sharper shears, if you maybe take a little bit more of the stem off, it'll be a very minor problem for you. Yeah, okay. You have to spray a seaweed, liquid seaweed. On it's, the always a, it's always a good thing to do. It will cut down on uh, spider mite issues. I like adding just a little bit of molasses, and, of course, if you... And some varieties are much more prone to black spot fungus than others, but uh, uh, you can mix a little bit of a, what we call the corn water tea, just soaking some cornmeal in water and uh, using that, a little bit of that mixed in, or garlic mixed in, a little bit of liquid garlic. Uh, you can usually get that under the name of either mosquito barrier or garlic barrier. A little bit of that mixed in with your seaweed is going to do a lot to stop the fungus issues while the seaweed works to stop the spider mites. Alrighty, I'll get some today. <laughs> nice talking to you. Thank you for your help. And same to you. It's my pleasure, David. It's always good to hear your voice. And we'll you, talk you too. Bye bye. You too. Goodbye. All right, just about 45 seconds here until news time. So uh, grab an open line if you like, 210 599 5555. Again, uh, lots of things to do out there. Just remember if you're mowing, mow your grass high. It actually uses less water uh, when the blades are left a little bit longer. Mulching, really important to do in the heat. Uh, two, three inches of good mulch in your flower beds uh, around any new plants you've planted. Uh, that does a lot to cool the soil, does a lot to increase the uh, uh, moisture retention of the soil. And it's just, it's just mulches are one of the best things we do. Little hot to be putting out bulk compost, so don't be putting that on your grass. You can probably wait six or eight weeks before we do that. Anyway, lots more things to talk about, and if you've got a question, uh, just give me a call. We'll be right back here on KTSA Radio, San Antonio, Texas. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now, 210-599-5555.
Ah, but don't dial right this second because all four of those lines are taken. It's going to be Gene and Richard and Ray and Eric. Let's just get right back to phone calls and uh, Gene's first in line. Good morning, Gene. Morning, Bob. Morning, sir. Hey, uh, I notice you don't have a time delay anymore. Is that That's... permanent? Uh, you're talking to the wrong person. I answer plant questions, and I leave the engineering <laughs> okay, to the folks there. How can I help you? Uh, now I got a, a black plastic water storage tank, and uh, my well keeps it full. My house runs off of it, mm-hmm. and uh, I can't get up on a ladder much anymore to check it very often. But the last time I looked down in that hole up there, they were still light getting through there. Uh, a little bit, kind of a mm-hmm. purple colored, and uh-huh. uh, I just wondered if, if pouring some, uh, um, what's that, uh, peroxide down in there would help as just a preventative. I noticed a little white, white film mm-hmm. on the sides of the tank. Sure, and yeah. any yeah, anytime you've got anytime you've got light getting through and into the water, you're going to have some algae growth. Now, the white's probably just, you know, lime or something in the water itself. But uh, be perfectly fine. I'd uh, probably, you know, do it like in the evening when it's going to be a few hours before you're going to be drinking the water out of that tank. Do you have multiple tanks or you just have one? Just the one. Yeah. I uh, Again, hydrogen peroxide is converted pretty quickly uh, to just oxygen and water, so um, it would upset your tummy if you com- if you in- consumed a whole lot of it. But like I say, it it breaks down very quickly. So um, just you know, avoid avoid drinking for the first few hours after you put it in. That will take care of any algae that's in there. Um, it's it would probably be a good idea, and it's a very common problem with some of the thin wall tanks out there. Probably be a good idea to get some sort of paint that will bond to uh, the rubberized material the tank's made out of, and just block out the light, keep it from ever getting in. I know places like the Nature Center up in Bernie, uh, they've actually gone a little further and put like a decorative wooden cover all the way around partly for looks and also to keep the light out, but just simplest thing you could do. And there are paints that will bond uh, to the material they make those tanks out of, but just put a good coat of paint on it, and uh, you'll pretty much stop that light, and you can stop worrying about anything growing inside of it. That sounds pretty good. Uh, uh, 2,200 gallons, how much hydrogen peroxide would you think would be sufficient? Oh, 2,200 gallons. Probably between two and four quarts. Most of, uh, um, you know, you can buy it uh, at places like Whole Foods and natural grocers. If you see anything that is sold as non-chlorine bleach, that's probably hydrogen peroxide if you want to get a bigger jug of it. Or, of course, in the pharmacy section, you can buy it in uh, quart containers. But I'd, I'd go somewhere between two and four quarts. Okay, I appreciate that. I had a, I the other day I picked up some area at HEB, mm-hmm. and uh, I know nothing about it. Uh, just regular <laughs> fertil regular water and fertilizer. Treat it about like you would uh, a hibiscus or a bougainvillea. Uh, plumeria to bloom well 
Uh, they they pretty much take full sun. They have to be about three years old before they start blooming if they're grown from seed. And I'm not sure who HEB would be getting theirs from, but um, uh, yeah, they uh, they're susceptible to spider mites. So I like spraying with a little liquid seaweed, but. They're easy, easy plants to grow in some of those beautiful, fragrant blooms in the world. So give them plenty of sunlight, water them thoroughly whenever they're dry. Let them get dry about oh, a knuckle deep and then water them thoroughly again. A little has to grow or other good liquid plant food. Uh, use it about every two to four weeks and uh, you'll have a beautiful plant and you'll have beautiful flowers in the summer months. They do, of course, have to be protected from winter weather. Even uh, 32 degrees can be just devastating to them. So you'll need to cover them or bring them in, depending on how cold it's going to get. Um, I've known people that these are just really tough plants. That that thick stem uh, just makes them just immune to almost every problem except freezing. I know people who just pull them out of the pot, hang them upside down in the garage if it's a warm garage for the winter, and then replant them again next spring. So you've chosen a a really good plant as far as being durable, Um, and as long as you give them enough sun, you should get lots of fragrant flowers as well. All right. The other day I had it out just last week uh, in the sun. It said direct sun. Uh-huh. And it was scalding hot outside. Is that okay? Well, feel the leaf. You know, plants are like people. Uh, if they move from a very shady greenhouse or an area with less sun very suddenly to full sun, they can sunburn, and they will sunburn. But if they get used to it gradually, uh, they're fine out in the full sun. And one of the best things, one of the best ways to judge is just take and just kind of Feel the leaf in the palm of your hand. If the leaf feels like it's getting hot, then it's in danger of sunburning. Uh, If the leaf feels cool, no matter how strong the sun is, uh, it's in fine shape. All right. I appreciate it, Bob. You answered all my questions. That's what I'm here for, Gene. Appreciate the call this morning, and you get out and have a good form. Thank you, sir. Take care, brother. Bye. You too. Bye. Uh, Next in line is Richard. Good morning, Richard. I'll go to Ray next. Richard dropped off, then it's Ray's turn a little bit sooner than you expected. Good morning, Ray. Excellent. Yes, sir. How can I help? Hydroscopic potting soil and compost. Can I saturate it with uh, Madita's liquid humics? Oh, absolutely. Get it to absorb water again? You you can do that. You can uh, put just a little bit of any kind of detergent in the water. Um, you can put uh, Garrett juice seems to work to help moisten it again. Uh, best long-term thing to do is probably to mix a little bit of uh, decomposed uh, granite in there, or I'm sorry, uh, lava sand, uh, decayed lava. Uh, that is hygroscopic. That actually um uh, attracts the water rather than being hydrophobic uh, it also brings in some good minerals uh, many times it adds a little bit of an energy we call paramagnetism so um, that would be one thing to do especially if you've got just straight compost that stuff it gets uh, it dries out on the surface and it could just be the devil to try to get it moistened again um, but uh, mixing a little bit of, uh, of uh, lava sand in with it will go a long way toward making the problem easier to solve Okay, let's go with a ratio. 15-gallon grow bag, the soil, the compost, how much of that sand would I put in there? 
Oh, yeah, probably a couple of cups. Um, again, it's a great material. You'll never use too much. Um, it's not it's not really expensive, but, you know, you get it in a 40-pound bag, and uh, you'll have enough to fill or to mix at least four batches of soil like that. But uh, I'd, I'd go a couple of cups probably. Okay. I had an inch and a half of rain last night here in Del Rio. Oh, man, you're living right. <laughs> it's, uh, well, y'all I don't know. I'm job. having to drain, drain all my... Flats of excess water now. <laughs> well, if, you, if you've got excess water, you just send it my way, and I won't be complaining about it a bit. But, uh, you know, it's, it's a good thing. It's, um, you know, so many years, especially when we're in a La Nina pattern, which refers to things going on in the western Pacific, uh, we just get a high-pressure system that settles over us, and we go for months without rain. And fortunately, that's what's not what's happening now. The rains haven't been real widespread. Uh, where you are, you got an inch and a half. Lucky you, where I am, I got a little over a quarter of an inch. And as you look around the area, some folks got none, some folks got a bunch. But I'm I'm just thankful to know that it can rain. And weathermen don't seem to have any luck at all in predicting when it's going to happen. So it's uh, it's just a very, very welcome blessing when it occurs. Yes, it is. All right, Bob, thank you for your time. It's always a pleasure. Good question. I thank you. Ah, uh, let's see here. Let's check the time. Better get a break in here, Greg. Uh, go ahead and run what you've got in the recordings, and we'll be back to phone calls starting with Ray in just a moment. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening, back to the phone lines. Eric, Irene, Chris, and Judy. Eric is up first. Good morning. Good morning. How you doing? Off to a good start, sir. How about yourself? I'm doing good. Hey, I got a quick one. Um, I got a pond behind my house. I'd say acre and a half. Uh-huh. And uh, it's got a lot of vegetation growing in it. And right. I'm actually having some issues with uh, snakes and stuff back there. And, and I'm wanting to clean up the vegetation. And I was, what would be a good recommendation to, put something in the tank have you got fish in it no the last time i put fish in there it turned on me and it everything passed on okay um the one of the best things that you can do and uh it's better to do it in the winter or early spring but uh whole ground cornmeal tends to tie up the potassium in the water and that will, you know, you get a whole lot less growth of algae. Now, if you've got things like the giant salvinia and stuff that's actually rooted into the bottom of the pond, um, it's a lot tougher uh, to get rid of. But if you're if you have an algae problem, especially green algae problems, you can usually control that with uh, the rates usually about uh, about 400 pounds per acre. Um, and it's you just get the cheap stuff you get at the feed store or wherever. But if you will yeah. do this in about February or March, you'll generally stay pretty much free of uh, algae during the summer months. Problems with trying to kill it uh, when it's hot is then it starts to rot, starts to stink. Uh, the reason I ask about fish is it'll take all the oxygen out of the water and you'll end up killing your fish. Uh, as the green stuff starts to starts to rot, 
the other thing that you can do, because most of this, if we get any any really cold weather during the winter much, most of it will freeze. There is, and you probably asked Parks and Wildlife where to get it, but there are a couple of safe dyes, uh, fluorescein usually, fluorescein dyes, uh, that you can dump in the water, and it makes the water more opaque so you get less sunlight going in, and therefore you get less algae growth uh, you know, in the you know, in the pond itself, and a little bit of growth is is perfectly normal. But if you, those are the two things that will really help keep it under control. Now, uh, again, this invasive stuff we've gotten from who knows where. The giant salvinia uh, can be a real problem, and I don't know that there's a real good solution to it. Uh, uh, there's some nasty herbicides that they'll sell you pellets to throw in the pond, but. I'm not going to be wanting to be anywhere near that water when you're putting in T4D products and things like that. So um, right. spring of the year, the cornmeal, um, also a need to do this uh, while there's not yep. much vegetation in there. Something like the fluorescein dyes are pretty inexpensive and really, really do cut down on regrowth from the bottom of the pond. Have you ever heard of putting goldfish in there? Well, I put gold... goldfish in there a couple of years ago. Uh-huh. And I put 20 of them in there, and I bet you I, they multiplied up to about 500. <laughs> right. Uh, the there um, is something even vegetation though. Oh yeah, yeah. And there's something that's even better uh, that are called grass carp, Asian grass carp, and they are triploids uh, genetically, which means they don't reproduce. That's the problem with goldfish and common carp is, you know, they can just reproduce totally out of bounds. But uh, you have to get a permit from the state to put the grass carp in where you have a localized pond. It's not going to be any problem. But uh, these things will get up to where they weigh 30 or 40 pounds. And you could probably put two or three of those in your pond and... Um, um, and they would get the vegetation under control pretty quickly. Plus, I had some of them. I didn't put them in, but one of my neighbors put into my lake and uh, have friends that I occasionally let go up and fish, and their kids were saying, we're seeing sea monsters because, you know, these things get to be three <laughs> feet long. But uh, uh, grass carp, I, I, you know, you'll need to call Parks and Wildlife, like I say, because you need to have a permit to buy them. Uh, they'll actually come out. Uh, as I tell you, I don't mind paying hunting and fishing license fees because they, they go to one of the best things in the state, and that's our Parks and Wildlife system. But um, they'll send a biologist out to look at your pond and tell you if it's suitable and get you the permit that you can do that. But uh, uh, short of just going to the fish store and buying a bunch of goldfish, which are going to overpopulate the pond, the triploid grass carp may be the easiest solution to your problem. All right. Well, I appreciate it. And uh, But just do one or the other. Again, if you start trying to kill vegetation in the heat, uh, as it rots, it'll pull all the oxygen out of the water, and anything in there in the way of fish or frogs or anything else will either move on or die. So if you decide to go with the fish, uh, skip doing anything else. Now, uh, even with the even with the fish, uh, February, March, uh, well, probably February would be a real time to put some whole ground cornmeal in there to limit the algae growth. But uh, uh, thinking through it, I, I think the the triploid grass carp in a small pond like that may be may be your best answer. And uh, Parks and Wildlife, they have I what they call. I did put a few tilapia in there one time. Yeah, that they don't eat that much. 
the, the yeah. grass carp do. Boy, they multiplied too real bad. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's what makes the grass carp good because, uh, you know, I can take you back to my college genetics course and uh, and how when you have three sets of chromosomes, things don't, don't reproduce. And uh, these things are bred to be triploids, and then they can't make any future generations. So that's what makes them a... Uh, a good solution that won't turn into a problem. Right. And when I purchased them, the guy, it was at a fish farm. Uh-huh. He said that uh, they weren't going to reproduce on that tilapia. And, man, they just <laughs> took off. I would walk up to the tank, and it looked like the whole tank was just shivering. Oh, yeah. Because they, they thought I was going to, you know, when I was going up to feed them. Mm-hmm. At the time. But any time you went up to the tank, it was just the whole tank. And that's how many it got to be, and, and oh, yeah. I think that's when it turned on me. They lost yeah. all the oxygen in there. And that's exactly what happens. And uh, it can be carp, it can be tilapia, uh, it can be, uh, oh, gosh, what is, uh, there's one type of minnow that's uh, related to that that can also get to be a problem. And, yeah, you get to the point that you get an overpopulation of anything in there, it just throws everything out of balance, and uh, uh, problems start there. But um, anyway, let me know. Uh, the the Parks and Wildlife Department has uh, an inland fisheries division. You probably get that number off the internet. But uh, used to be, uh, I was trying to remember the guy's name. Uh, Ray Johnson, I think, was the guy, or Kirby Golson was the one that uh, worked the area for a while. But I'm sure he's retired. But uh, Parks and Wildlife are for about 99% of them are just great guys and gals, and I know they'll be happy to help you. Just don't let them talk to you right. in any kind of toxic stuff. Okay, I appreciate it. I appreciate yeah, the, the call. The goldfish, the goldfish kind of took care of themselves. They, uh, We had a pretty good rain, and my tank overflooded. Uh-huh. And uh, they, I didn't have a uh, screen on my outlet. Right. And they went over, and it, it floated over to my neighbor's tank. <laughs> <laughs> well, the Parks and Wife's probably going to ask you to put up a screen because they don't want the the grass yeah. carp leaving home. But uh, that's not usually that much of an issue, especially once you get some size on them. So uh, well, I never let me know. I was getting a train that time, and, man, it, it flooded that, that day, and next thing I know, my fish are gone. Well, I'd love to see that kind of rain again. We've gotten some... Some rain that was good to help out uh, some of the vegetation. <laughs> yes, sir, I remember it. <laughs> and uh, I'll take some more tomorrow because we need the rain for the aquifers and the rivers. But uh, let me know what you decide. Let me know how it works on your fish, on your uh, algae solution there. Hey, appreciate it. It's a pleasure. Thank you, sir. Um, looks like I believe next in line is going to be Irene. Uh, good morning, Irene. Good morning. Good morning. I'm so happy to get into your uh, station. It's just, I've been waiting forever. It hasn't been that long. No, well, really, I'm really, glad you I got through. To, yeah, I've listened to you for years and years, and I just love your show. Well, I have you. a quick one for you. A quick okay. one, quick one for you. I took your advice. Uh, I have an area about 20 by 40 feet and um, covered by oak trees. And so you had mentioned a few times that Asian jasmine was good to grow because everything was just kind of like dirt around there. So right. my little landscape guy, uh, he came out and he planted about 20 little um, um, uh, Asian jasmine plants, but he put down this plastic. He said it was to keep the, the weeds out. And then on top of that, he put um, mulch. 
And those poor little plants, I've been keeping them alive, but mm-hmm. they're not growing together, Bob. You know, like they're supposed to grow together. So you can have yep. a nice little kind of area that's pl- bl- uh, plush and nice to walk on. Mm-hmm. But right. um, should we re- be removing that plastic? And Absolutely. What Absolutely. The mulch is a good idea. The plastic or the so-called weed block are bad ideas. Uh, Get rid of those and, uh, you know, feed regularly. Get some liquid fertilizer like has to grow or something like that. But um, there's an old saying about ground covers, and that is the first year they sleep, the second year they creep, and the third year they leap. So Asian jasmine will take a little while to really fill in. Um, If you've got a 20 by 40 foot area, um, you barely made a, a dent in, in how many plants I would have suggested planting. But uh, get rid of the plastic and just plant a few more plants here and there as you can. The more plants you put in, the faster it will cover. But you've got to be a little patient. The, the, you know, it, it takes a little while, but just uh, all of a sudden you'll just have a beautiful ground cover out there. But if uh, if you were doing this commercially, they would put in about one plant, uh, or they would put plants in on one-foot centers, meaning they put the plants in about a foot apart. I hate to tell you that size area would take about 800 plants to do it right. <laughs> so just as you have the opportunity, when somebody asks you what you want for Christmas, tell them you want little plants of Asian jasmine. But uh, if you're looking to get a, a good thick ground cover in there, you're going to need to plant a few more, but get rid of that plastic before you do anything else. And don't believe that yard man anything else he tells you because he doesn't know what he's talking oh. about. Well, you're wonderful. Thank you so much. You've been so much help. And we're going to get out there next week, maybe when it'll be nice and cool in the morning and get that plastic out of there. Just one more thing. Don't wait so long yes, to call me again. <laughs> I enjoy talking to you anytime. <laughs> Well, you're a, you're a sweetie, and I, I listen to your show every weekend, every weekend. Okay, I do, thank I you. do. Thank you, you too. All right, uh, Greg. I guess we goodbye. We better get a break in here. Chris and Jude will be my next two callers. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster, News Talk five fifty KTSa and FM one zero seven one. All right, back to gardening, and uh, let's see. Looks like next in line is going to be, uh, I believe we're up to Chris, aren't we, uh, aren't we, Greg? Yeah, Chris and Judy will be my next two callers, and Chris is first. Good morning, Chris. Good morning. Thanks for taking my call. I got a couple uh, of questions. Okay. I had a mountain laurel that was planted too deep for a number of years, and so uh-huh. I dug it around, and I went down to the root ball. Then I put a little uh 20 inch ring around it and i put some uh granite in there some three quarter to one inch granite uh-huh put it in a root loosely to keep the uh, dirt from falling back into it yes sir and I put uh flowers around it uh well it's doing a lot better it's got some new growth but now i got on a new growth i got the uh webworms that yeah. are eating all the new growth out of it yeah, and that shows that it's still got some stress. You've done you've done the right thing. Just you know, don't don't even pile the granite up against the trunk. It needs air circulating around it. But pull back to the edges. That's a that's a great plan. Um, until the plant take that granite out. 
No, no, leave the granite there, but but not piled up against the trunk. I mean, if you've excavated 36 inches in diameter, you know, just kind of bring it out to where maybe it's a foot-wide ring, and uh, you've got maybe just six inches bare around the trunk where the air can circulate, and, and that'll be fine. Um, in the meantime, until it really gets itself uh, back on its feet, so to speak, uh, just get a little bit of BT, Bacillus thuringiensis. Uh, that'll take care of those caterpillars, uh, and it's totally harmless to people and pets. When you mix it up, and it won't tell you this on the bottle that you get your BT in, but add a little bit of molasses. Add the equivalent of about a tablespoon of molasses per gallon of spray. That will make it last much longer. You probably only have to spray once, and you'll be good for the rest of the year on the mountain laurel. But uh, and, and don't spray anything but the mountain laurel. We're not going to kill all the caterpillars, just those ones getting on your mountain laurel. But uh, uh, the BT, it's a stomach poison. Spray it on the leaves. Caterpillar takes one bite out of the leaf, stops feeding immediately, and dies within a few hours. And uh, like I say, it's it's very effective, and yet it's totally safe for you and your family. Okay. All righty. And the other question I have is my uh, St. Augustine grass in the front yard. It's mm-hmm. really nice, but I got some brown tints, mainly like where I walk back and forth. Uh-huh. It's starting to turn brown, and there's brown spots in there. I put a big bag of uh, the... Uh, uh, cornmeal on there, uh-huh. and it's helped out the other part of the lawn, but I still have that one section there that's, that's probably about 10 feet wide, about 30 feet long, that it's you, still, it's got a little brown tint to it. You probably have had some grub worm damage. Um, when it cools off in the fall, I would very definitely put some compost on that area. Get down on your hands and knees and lift up on the runners if the runners lift away from the ground, that's a pretty good sign of grubworm damage. Usually, usually by now, the grubworms have moved on. The ones that do all the damage are what we call the first and second larval instars, which are little tiny, tiny grubworms. And um, if in doubt, put out some beneficial nematodes. I mean, they'll also take care of fire ants and fleas. But um, the, the damage was probably done six weeks or so ago. And so it's going to be a little while before you really start getting a lot of new growth. How long has it been since you fertilized? When was the last time you put any fertilizer out? Uh, I've been fertilizing once a month with the uh, Nature's Creation. But this, okay. is, uh, this is where I walk a lot, back and yep. forth. It's, so, I mean, I've been, and I kind of pushed out the grass a little bit more than the other section. Sure. So. And compaction, compaction can cause some of that. Uh, and compost will solve that better than anything else. But the problem is we can't really put out bulk compost in the heat. Now, if you get a really fully broken down compost, uh, you can put some of that over. But, boy, come September, I'd be doing especially that area, but do as much as your lawn as you can with about half an inch of compost. In the meantime, I would use some of uh, uh, one of Medina's products, like what they call their soil activator, or better still, they have something called Medina Plus, which is a soil activator with some extra seaweed in it. That's going to help open that, uh, you know, open that soil back up. Uh, in fact, a little bit of liquid humate would be something else good to put down. A little bit of just plain molasses, either dry molasses or liquid molasses. Those are all things that are going to stimulate the microbial activity that's going to work against that compaction. And uh, and the other thing is, you know, probably just uh, 
Uh, try not to walk the same path every time. <laughs> Make it a point when you're going toward the house to walk off to the right of where you've got the problem. When you're walking away from the house, walk on the other side. Uh, just, uh, you know, dogs are people either one. If you're if you're running the same trail constantly, um, you're going to beat that soil down. And uh, compost will help that, but it's just a little bit too hot to put the bulk compost on now. In the meantime, try some of the Medina Plus uh, try some molasses, try some liquid humates. Those are all things that will naturally work to loosen the soil again. Yeah, the problem I have is that's where it goes to my uh, water spigot. Uh, okay. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah and, and again, sometimes you just almost have to go in and put in some stepping stones. Just make yourself yeah. a path for, to walk on. Uh, uh, you can get some gorgeous stone. There are lots of stone yards around, or you can get like a poured concrete stepping stone, or you can get a highly decorative stone. But same thing I'd recommend if you had ground cover you needed to walk through. Anywhere that you need to walk really regularly, um, if you'll do something, and, and it doesn't have to be a real path, but just individual flagstones to walk across or look nice, easy on the feet if you walk a barefoot, and uh, a lot easier on the grass as well. All right, I appreciate it, sir. You have a happy Fourth of July week. You do the same, sir. Happy, happy, happy birthday to our country. You sound like a man that appreciates that. Um, I let's do. Go ahead. I do. <laughs> we all should. A few people who just forget about uh, how how hard our forefathers worked to get here, and the men and women that uh, that made it possible for us to be here. But uh, good time to remember. Uh, let's see. Yeah, let's go ahead and take one more call before we take a break, and that would be Judy. Good morning, Judy. Well, good morning, Bob. Good morning. I believe, I believe the gentleman and you had answered part of my question that I was going to ask. We have mountain laurels uh, mm -hmm. that were kind of mowed down when they built the house, but they're coming back up, and they were doing wonderful. But then I noticed these caterpillars but I guess they're web worms. Um, oh, they they go by a hundred different names, and oh. they 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 go. They only hit mountain laurels that are a little bit stressed. Chances are those mountain laurels got stressed just from compaction when the home was being built. Uh, they may have gotten a little stressed by the winter. They may be having a little bit of a water issue, uh, but all those things will will make the mountain laurels a little bit more susceptible to the caterpillars. Uh, you need to, number one, be thinking about what could be causing the stress and try to alleviate that. But you can get rid of the caterpillars overnight. Now, I never recommend spraying the whole yard, but if you've got a mountain laurel with problems, get a little bit of the product that I mentioned. It's called BT, stands for Bacillus thuringiensis, so it's B is in boy, T is in thuringiensis. And uh, the one thing, like I say, it doesn't tell you on the label, but add a little bit of molasses to it. And you can get it already ready to spray in a little hand sprayer, or you can get a concentrate that you dilute with water. But uh, it's harmless to people and pets, but it's a stomach poison to the caterpillars, and they take one bite of a leaf that has it on there. They stop feeding immediately and die within a few hours. So... Uh, again, okay. wouldn't spray the whole yard, but your mountain laurels, that's going to solve your problem pretty much overnight. Well, my question, it, my, I have two questions. Uh, one is it looks like it stripped a lot of the leaves mm -hmm. off of one of the mountain laurels. Will it kill the mountain laurel? It shouldn't. Oh. Um, it shouldn't. Now, 
remember that the way a plant processes water, takes the water up through the roots and loses it and releases it out through the foliage in a process we call transpiration, anytime we have too many of the leaves missing from the plant, whether it's from caterpillars or whether it's from somebody getting a little bit uh, too industrious with the pruning shears, uh, your plant's not going to be using as much water. So if these are these mountain laurels in an area that gets hit by a sprinkler system or where you water regularly, no. okay, no. then uh, let them stay a little bit more on the dry side. Yeah, I'm sure you'll have to water periodically, but let them stay a little bit more on the dry side, and uh, they should regrow. This is should not be life-threatening to them. The only thing that would be life-threatening is if they stay too wet until they get some new foliage on them, and that sounds like that's not going to be the case. Okay, and uh, uh, please educate me because uh, I had called a few times because I'm new here, so I'm learning. Um, you say, I heard you tell the gentleman to put a tablespoon of molasses. Right. Now, is this a special molasses? Or no, this, no. This Anything. Regular baking molasses? It's <laughs> any kind of molasses. It's something sugary. And uh, okay. and and the reason, let me tell you why we do it, and you'll understand uh you know, I, <laughs> I don't give yes and no answers. I get carried away sometimes, I freely admit. But um, Bacillus thuringiensis is a bacteria. Bacteria are greatly supported by anything sugary. I mean, this is what energizes them. This is what throws them into a highly reproductive state. Uh, when we really want to generate a lot of microbial activity, we add molasses or some other form of sugar. Old Malcolm Beck, when he... Uh, started his compost business. He <laughs> he talked to the Coca-Cola people. They they were paying saws a lot of money to dump their old out-of-date sugary Coke syrup, you know, down the storm drain. And Malcolm said, "Well, I'll let you put it on my compost piles free of charge." And you know, he was making the best compost and making it faster than anybody else in town. But it's just all that sugary stuff that stimulates the bacteria. Uh, which in this case, we're stimulating a bacteria that's going to be toxic to the caterpillars. Uh, in the case of your soils and other places that we may be using it, we're stimulating the bacteria that loosen the soil. Um, it's just there are a lot of different uses for molasses, and all of them are good, but it doesn't have to be any special molasses. And, I mean, if you had old sugary soft drinks or something like that, you could dump a little bit of that in there. It would help. Well, I think my husband has a spray bottle with a BT in it. So yeah. can I just add a tablespoon of molasses oh, into just, that? Just add a half a teaspoon in that small bottle, and you'll be good to go. Yeah. And and it will stay. I don't have to use use it up. I mean, it'll, no. it won't. No. Okay. I, oh, uh, there was a gentleman named Barney Grimm who founded what later became the Greenlight Company. And many years ago, I sat down with Barney, and we went through the list of all the insecticides that were on the market and tried to assign a shelf life to them. Barney told me that BT should be good as long as you don't freeze it or, you know, super, super heat it. He said it's good for 30 years. So... Um, okay. you're, until you use it up, you're not going to be rushing out to replace it. Okay, so if I put the molasses into the BT, that will help it more. Uh, yes, absolutely. To eradicate them. Yeah, okay. Barney told and, me that he said that it makes it about 20 times more effective. Okay, good, good to know. Then just spray all of the leaves just in yeah. case they happen to go on. Okay. Yeah, and just and do it early in the day, early in the day or, or day or late in the day. 
Okay, I'll do it tomorrow morning then. Oh, and the, oh, just a quick one. On this cornmeal, too, I hear you all talking about cornmeal. Is mm-hmm. this just regular yellow cornmeal that you well, all are- it's it's what we call it's what we call whole ground cornmeal and it's basically cornmeal that's just been ground up corn. Now what you buy in the grocery store to make cornbread and things with, yeah. they've polished they've polished the outside, they've taken all the nutrients away from there. They call it enriched. I think they take away fourteen nutrients and put twelve back. I think that's what George Bush used to call fuzzy math. Um, so you don't want you don't want the the, the so-called enriched. Uh, if you're buying it at HEB, it'll usually be sold under the name of Stone Ground. If you're getting okay. it at a nursery or feed store, it'll be called Whole Ground or you know corn chops like you feed chicken. All that that's the kind of corn. We just want the whole kernel of corn. And by the way, it's a whole lot more nutritious for you than this uh, stuff that they've taken all the good stuff away and then sold it to you to make your cornbread with. Right, right. Okay, okay. Well, you again, you've helped me out. Uh, I'll go tell my husband to add a teaspoon of molasses into the BT, and uh, we'll just have to keep an eye out on the mountain laurel. And it it, it will work well. I uh, just remember, and and you haven't moved these. They're not anything that's been planted there in recent times. Uh, oh, no, but no. like like all woody plants. You don't want to have the soil piled up around the trunk. So at some point when the weather's cool, you might get down on your hands and knees and just look down at the base of the plants. Be sure that you see that trunk starting to broaden, that you see where the roots are really starting to come out. If not, you may be like my previous caller and may need to pull a little bit of soil back away from it because that's going to help your plants long term. But uh, um Right now, I'm just going to tell you get rid of the of the caterpillars, and then we can take on other projects when it cools off a little bit. Okay, sounds good, Bob. Thank you so much. I thank you for the call this morning. You have a wonderful weekend. All right, uh, Greg. Guess we better get our last break of the show in. We'll be back with time for just a couple more phone calls. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, just about to finish up the pet show, and Dr. Kirby's here, so it'll be time for your pet's health in just a few minutes here. Time for hopefully a couple more calls, and Clyde is next in line. Good morning, Clyde. Oh, hi, Bob. How are you doing this morning? Good. Going to be a great day out there. Yes, sir. Thank you for taking my call, first of all. And uh, happy 4th of uh, July. And, and you as well. Yes, sir. Um, I have a Brunswick fig tree, and uh-huh. it's getting out of hand. I mean, it gives me good figs and all. But the thing is, when is the optimal time to trim it back? And uh, should I do anything special after I do the trimming back? Nothing special other than give it plenty of water. Uh, there's not a bad time to trim a fig. You're always going to sacrifice a little bit of fruit. If I had to pick the yeah. very best time, it would be early spring. We never know how bad <coughs> how bad a winter's going to be, and it may freeze it back a little bit. But probably if I had to tell you the best month of the year, it would be late February, early March. But uh, okay. if it's just out of hand and you need to trim it lightly today, feel free to do so. Just recognize it's going to have kind of a sticky milky sap you don't want to get it all over you oh, yeah. but uh it's uh if, if you need to prune it do it if you can put it off till early spring that'll be the very best time to do it 
Okay, yeah, I definitely will wait until uh, late or, or early spring. Uh, the reason why is because it's bearing so many fruits. <laughs> uh, I have to fight the uh, the birds and the squirrels to get. Sure. I, I pick my uh, figs in the morning or or late in the evening, you know, before yeah. the birds get a hold of it. But uh, they've been giving me. It's been giving me good uh, figs, so I can't complain about that. So That's I think I'm excellent. Wait. And they and they but do it, make something they call bird netting. You can get it and kind of yeah. throw over to keep the birds away if you need to. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm gonna share. I'm I'm pretty pretty good about sharing with my birds and stuff like <laughs> All that. All right, very good. But uh, thank you for taking my call once again, Bob. I've learned well, really a heck of a lot from you over the years and stuff. I think I probably have an associate's degree in gardening. <laughs> and, you know, well, you know, I'm glad you, you all the time. Glad you enjoy it, Clyde, and I appreciate you being uh, brief here so I can get Elizabeth in. Good morning, Elizabeth. Good morning, Bob. Um, You probably won't have time for this one, but um, I bought some German millet uh, to try to heavily seed an area that I've been digging out, uh, Malta star thistle. Uh I've got a lot of bare soil. Right. And it's in the middle of my blue bonnet patch. But now I'm not sure I want to plant this German millet because I don't want to cultivate German millet in my pasture. So Right. Well, okay. as far as blue bonnets and things like that, um they don't compete much with warm weather grasses. Cool weather grasses and weeds are the things that you'll that will reduce your wildflower crop. Um I've I've not grown German millet. I don't know a whole lot about it. I know most things out of Germany were a little bit hot for them. But uh, if this is something that grows primarily in the summer months, uh, it's not going to interfere much with your with your wildflowers. If it's something that grows in the cooler weather, it probably would be something to avoid if you want to protect the blue bonnets and other wildflowers. It's, it's a warm season grass. Douglas King said that it's the one thing that might grow now. Okay. And I just don't. I just thought it'd be better to have that than whatever weeds are going to grow in this uh, <laughs> in yep. this bare soil. Uh, and and real quickly, a uh, limb of my fig tree broke. Mm-hmm. It's a nice fat limb. It's about uh, at least as big around as my thumb. Uh-huh. And I imagine I imagine I could root it. Uh, which I've had luck with before. Do I keep it wet or do I let it heal over? No, you you want to probably make actually a fresh cut on it. How long is this limb? I know how big it is around, but how long is it? It's uh, about two, so at least 30 inches long, and it's got okay. probably 20 big leaves and two figs on it. Okay, well, cut off all the figs. Cut that limb into three pieces. You'll never be able to root a peach that big. You could have air-layered it, but you didn't know it was going to break. So um, cut it into three pieces. Take off all except uh, the top leaf. You can even cut that in half if you want. Take off the figs and root it in perlite. Keep it in a shady spot. Uh, Put moisture on it four or five times a day. And um, it's a tough time of year, but you'd probably be successful in rooting it. And maybe we can talk about it again next week. 